Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it bring it to the bank. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, Kev. Thanks for having me back on. I'm Sam Carp. I'm a Crystal Palace fan. Um, you can find some of my stuff on the Eagles Beak fan site, and I'm also the deputy editor of a company called Sports Pro. Hi, uh, I'm Richard Burns. I'm a Manchester City fan, and you can also hear me on the Blue Moon podcast. Uh, and occasionally read my writing um, via the Blue Moon Podcast Patreon site, which is all available at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, I want to start off actually chronologically with midweek, um, where Liverpool lost to Arsenal. I think it was their second consecutive match dropping points after the draw with Burnley. Those results, of course, meaning that they will not be able to catch Richard's beloved Manchester City and their 100-point mark for the season. Uh, I guess we'll just start off by asking you guys, are, are you surprised that Liverpool failed to reach that mark after how they started the year? Um, a part of me is surprised. Um, they've dropped 10 points in just seven games since the restart, I think it is, which is more than double the four they dropped in the 29 games before that. But then, you know, a part of me also isn't. Um, lots of teams have struggled to put a consistent run of results together with the games coming so thick and fast since everything got back underway, you know, with the exception of maybe United, City themselves, um, even Southampton and Burnley have been been doing well. Um but, you know, maybe things might have been different if Liverpool hadn't had hadn't had their rhythm broken like it was. Um, and I know it's been talked about a lot and you just don't know how much of an impact winning the league with so many games to go has. Um, also factor in that they have been playing in empty stadiums and perhaps it does become a little bit harder to motivate yourself in, in that kind of scenario. Um, I know you sort of mentioned where they stand in terms of... In terms of other good sides um that's kind of something that i think we'll only know within the next few years where they stand i mean i've only ever known the premier league so i'm sure there were some great teams before that you know revy's leeds cloughs forest um but in terms of the premier league i think they're certainly up there you know they've already got 93 points now um you, you'd suspect that they'll go past chelsea's 95 and i guess they could yet finish with a maximum of 99 which would be the second highest behind that city total that you just mentioned um, so kind of irrespective of not being able to reach that total, I do consider them to be one of the best sides that I've watched personally, both both on telly and live when they've when they've come down to Selhurst Park. I think probably the biggest compliment that you can pay them is that there hasn't been one individual that has outshone the rest of them uh, this season. They're just extremely functional as a as a unit, and everyone kind of chips in. Um, a big part of me also doesn't necessarily think that they've been any better this season than they were last. Um, but I think from that experience of having to keep pace with City in the 2018-19 
campaign they just kind of got into that habit of winning of, of grinding out results in games where they didn't necessarily deserve to get three points which is which is obviously something that their closest challengers haven't been able to do this year so I think that I think that consistency is what really takes a team from being a good one to a great one you think of Sir Alex Ferguson sides winning one title after another um so you know if they can back it up again next year when the league is kind of shaping up at the moment to be even more competitive I think that would that would see them really cement themselves as a as a great team rather than a very very good one yeah, I um, I agree with large parts of that. I think um, I, I am I, I fully accept all those mitigating factors that Sam gave for why there might have been a bit of a drop off uh, post actually sealing the league title. Um, that said, it has still surprised me that they've dropped as many points as they have. Um, I was particularly surprised um, the the way that they got beat by City at the Etihad just after winning the league um, because it was it finished 4-0 um, it would have been in sort of a world with normal handball rules it would have finished 5-0 um, and in truth it could have been quite a lot more than that um, because City once uh, once they've got the footing in that game absolutely dominated Liverpool and whilst I definitely do as I said, I take the mitigating factors, particularly the empty stadium issue um, and having the rhythm disrupted by um, by the break and then and then the restart in in such odd circumstances. I also what we have to to factor in for Liverpool is that their um, their mentality over the last two years has been absolutely extraordinary. Um, they lost up until up until this run after the restart. They lost two meaningful league games in the space of um, in the space of like two years or more. So they don't they don't give points away easily. And that mentality where they're going, no matter how they're playing, they just go and win games. And no matter how it's shaping up, they'll go and win a game at the end, or they'll if need be they'll get a draw at the end. They're ruthless. And they, they have been ruthless for a long time. And so I assumed that that mentality would carry over um, beyond actually sealing the title and that they would be driven on to getting the point record because um, I, I can only speak from experience and I promise you this isn't just cheap point scoring because City did do it when they won the league in 18. Mm-hmm. But the, the experience of being a fan winning the league with six games to go as we did that year was it took the pressure off going to a game and I mean there was relatively little pressure anyway as Liverpool have had this year because you knew for a long time before that um, that it was a procession towards just winning the league you knew that from about December but once you've got it sealed it still does it still releases a little bit of that pressure in the stands and so on and then you just go in almost in party mode like you're ready to go and watch a great team just go and, and finish the season in style and really round off what they've done. And City were very driven, and publicly so. They, they said it, and Pep can be seen saying it in that Amazon uh, documentary, the All or Nothing documentary um, on, on City that season. You can see him with a whiteboard after they've won the league, and pretty much the first thing he does sort of post-celebrations 
is he's, he's got a whiteboard out with every record still to play for on it. It was like most home wins in a season, most away wins, most goals, and most ever points and, and hitting that 100-point mark. And I can tell you from being in the stands at Southampton when City did that, it feels amazing to to get that record. It's not quite the same as winning the league, but it's it's something that you remember and it gives you something else to attach to that success, to that trophy. Not that you need more than the trophy, but it's something that almost immortalises your team. See, Arsenal have the Invincibles tag, United have the treble winners tag. They would all be remembered as great teams, but you give them something that makes them that bit more memorable. And I do think, and only the fullness of time will judge this, everybody will remember this Liverpool team as a great, great team. But I wonder if not quite carrying it on to get the points record um, when at one point they were on to absolutely smash it. At one point they could have got 109 points. Um, I wonder whether that might not diminish the achievement, but remove some of just how memorable they are. Um, That might be just City fan thinking. So you can tell me if I'm talking rubbish or um, just shave your head as I'm talking. But I do think things like that, they matter a little bit. And... I think that Klopp would have been using the records as a motivating factor and they've not gone on to do it. Um, Where they stand as a great team in history, in my opinion, I think they are one of the best of all time because if you accept that football is a harder and better sport and more intense sport and more skillful sport than it is now at any point in history, um, because I believe that. um, Liverpool, regardless of whether they back it up with a second title, which is notoriously hard to do, as one season champions, they are among the very best ever. Because to the point of winning the league, they went and won almost every game. They won some hard games. They won every big game. They were doing it whilst, um, you know, they had to go to the World Club Championship. And not only did they go and win that, but around it, they kept the league record going. Um, I think it's a mark against them that they sacrificed domestic cup competitions to do that. But They've got the reward that they wanted for it, so um, I wouldn't necessarily hold it against them as such. Um, they are their great, great champions, and it's not just one season of doing it. It's only one season of being rewarded with a title, but last season they got the best ever runners-up points total. 98 points in a season is still extraordinary. Um, so, yeah, I think they belong in that um, in that conversation of who are the best the best teams ever, and to be honest, I think once you're into that conversation, you're only breaking it down into personal preference. And like Sam says, of who remembers what era. Um, I think there's a strong argument that City and Liverpool are the two best teams in English football history just because football is better now than it's ever been. Um, but it's all, it's just down to personal preference. Um, you can probably guess which way I'd lean on that conversation, but I won't pretend that that is pure bias. So, um, yeah, they're a great team. They deserve, they deserve all the credit they get. They deserve to be remembered. But I do think um, they need to make sure that they're not losing too many more games to the end of the season because they've suddenly remembered what it's like to lose a game. And they haven't felt that in the Premier League to um, not any meaningful point for a long, long time. And you don't want that that habit setting um, setting back in. You don't want your players remembering what it's like to lose a game. You don't want Virgil van Dijk remembering what it's like to make a mistake for the first time in 88 games. Um, that, that leads to a goal. I think it was 88 games. Um, but yeah, they're, they're a great team. 
Yeah, you mentioned that missing out on the record may may kind of dent their their legacy externally. Obviously, internally, Liverpool fans will never forget this. Uh, yeah. Finally, returning to to lifting the trophy, um, but also no other trophies this season. At, at one point, they were you know talking about the treble potentially or, or even a quadruple, which I know you were in that Centurion year as well, and then ends up being just the one Premier League trophy, not even a record-breaking one. I realize not even makes it sound inconsequential that they've <laughs> won a Premier League title. Certainly don't mean that, but yeah, I think that may kind of harm how they're remembered uh, in the public eye, although there might also be some understanding that this happened in an insane season and really based on how things were looking coronavirus wise and whether or not the season was going to even restart the fact that they won it in a what, what, what was the phrase sporting merit the fact that they even got to formally win it i think is is definitely going to be memorable in just this incredibly weird season but uh yeah th- there's definitely going to be a lot to discuss about this team for a long time but we will leave it there for now of course uh started that off by talking about uh, how they lost to Arsenal. Arsenal then went on and then beat your Manchester City side, Richard. But mm-hmm. while it's usually a surprise, Arsenal succeeding in the FA Cup, arguably not. They're heading for a record 21st FA Cup final. They themselves have won three of the last six. Why do you guys think Arsenal are so successful in this particular competition? Yeah, I saw, um, saw an interesting stat earlier, actually, before it came on. I think it was Richard Jolly who tweeted that Arsenal's win over City and Pep yesterday means that Arsene Wenger is going to be the um, the only manager to win more than one FA Cup between 2000 and 2020, um, which is kind of like a nondescript period. But I mean, when you think about some of the managers that have been around in that time, you know, we've already mentioned Sir Alex, um, Mourinho, Ancelotti, it sort of does just go to show how difficult a tournament it is still to win. Um, but in terms of why... Arsenal were so successful in the FA Cup. I mean, it's it's quite hard to say, isn't it? It's a knockout tournament. A large part of it comes down to precisely exactly what happens on the day. Um, and you are always sort of expecting one of those so-called big six clubs to win it. There's obviously been very few occasions in those last 20 years where, where a team outside of that has won it. Um, I know that all too well as a Palace fan who went to Wembley in 2016 or whatever it was and had my heart broken by Jesse Lingard of all people. Um, but uh, and so, the dance, though. yeah, uh, yeah, the dance. We'll always have the dance, which is kind of the worst part of it all. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, and I, I think, I think with Arsenal, you know, in the league, they've always sort of struggled, or at least in the past uh, 10, 15 years since since they last won the title, they've they've kind of struggled for that consistency. Um, they're capable of being really, really bad one week, but then look really good the next. So perhaps they are better suited to that kind of one-off knockout game where they just have to go into it with a with one game plan to beat that team rather than putting together a string of results um and i suppose in recent years as well you've seen it slip down the list of priorities for some of the top teams um and arsenal have kind of slipped out of that truly elite bracket um so i mean you've seen for example liverpool have started weakened sides in the earlier rounds in the past couple of seasons because you know the premier league is the one they want um city Went out early to Wigan last year. Um, I know that they've won it a few times in the in the past in the past few years. But I mean, so you do so you do sort of have to remember that that after January, when some of the top clubs are still thinking about the title run in the Champions League knockout rounds, Arsenal haven't been in that position. They haven't really been in that conversation anymore. So they've perhaps been able to prioritise the FA Cup a little bit more. Um, 
which I think has probably benefited them quite quite significantly. It either means that they've had a, a slightly more favourable run to the final in those years, or you know, even when they've come up against teams in the in the later rounds, they're perhaps coming up against a weakened side. Or you know, I know City played a pretty strong team yesterday, but there have been previous years I know where you know Arsenal have put out a very strong one, and then the other teams have got sort of other tournaments and competitions on their minds. So I think that's been a really big factor. Um, and in terms of you know this year's this year's final, um, I think they certainly will fancy their chances of going on to win it. You know why not? Uh, this week they've beaten Liverpool and City. As Richard was just saying, two of the greatest teams that we've that we've seen in English football. So there's no reason why they can't go on and beat Chelsea. And I think it would be quite an entertaining game as well. They're both sides that have been really exciting to watch in patches this season, but really do have big vulnerabilities as well. Um, and it pits two pretty bright young managers against each other. Um, so I think it would be a pretty entertaining final. Uh, I'm sure whatever final out of those four teams that were in the semis that got to the final would have been pretty entertaining. But I think this one certainly has an element of curiosity to it. Yeah, I um, my, my point really was going to be exactly what um, Sam said with regards to um, Arsenal not typically over the last few years having a lot of other priorities towards the end of the season allows them to focus on the FA Cup. Um, I think Arsenal have for a long time been in this weird sort of hinterland between they're still regarded as one of the top clubs, but it took a long time, I think, for the general sort of football public, for, for want of a better phrase, to to, under, to see that they really weren't still a top team. Like they were, they are objectively a big club and they're a historically successful club, but they've not been a very, very good team for a while. However, they've also not been a truly terrible team. Like the, the worst that you could say of them is they've been for a short period around mid-table in the Premier League. And that was um, certainly where I think Emery was on his way to probably establishing them um, before, they, before they replaced him. Um, but they've, they've never been a truly terrible team. So if you think even just, um, it's quite a boring point in this, but even just on the point of how a cup draw works, if you're a top 10 Premier League team, for the first three rounds at least, the chances of you coming up against a team better than you are relatively slim. It's it's odds on that you're going to get favourable draws. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I've looked at, um, at the history of Arsenal's draws in years that they've done well in the FA Cup, so I might be doing them a massive disservice, but it's just a fact. It gives you a chance of progressing. Um, and then, like Sam says, in, by the time of the later rounds of the FA Cup, Arsenal have very rarely got much else on. Um, for a good time, they were maybe involved in battles for the top four towards the end, but that was largely at a time when there was an established top four and you'd always sort of back them to finish that job. Um, and I think maybe for a long time, they've had a style that lends itself quite well to cup football as well, where you have to attack a cup game um, to, to some degree because it's a one-off occasion. You have to go for it. Um, and Arsenal have very rarely been short of some attacking talent. They've always had, um, whether it be a, a good wide player or um, a talented sort of player who sits behind the striker or just 
very good strikers. They've always had players that you would back to be able to win, to win against the, the vast majority of teams. It's just that they're notoriously inconsistent. They're a typical sort of, um, these days, I think they are typical of a team outside of the, the top six in the Premier League. But that lends itself to cup football. Um, and and uh, maybe you get to a point where if you play for a club that has a particular affinity or a particular success in um, in a certain competition, maybe that helps get you up for a game because you feel the tradition of a club. Um, and I often don't really believe in stuff like that. But then I also think down the years of... Um, Again, just thinking of City experiences, I think down the years of how many how many times we've lost at Anfield, despite within that last sort of 20 years or so where I think we've won one game there, there's been times when we've been an objectively much better team than Liverpool, but we can never win there. And that's through different owners, different chairmen, different managers, completely overhauled sets of players, um, coaching staff. And it's never really seemed explainable unless you accept that maybe the players go there just understanding how things have always been and it gets in the head a little bit and I do wonder maybe Arsenal have a little bit of that but in a more positive direction in the FA Cup they've maybe a bit of a sort of weight of history um, and good recent history carries them through a little bit sometimes Um, but I mean it's it's a very very impressive record they've got. Yeah for sure And, and now as a Tottenham fan I'm faced with them one of Chelsea or Arsenal lifting a title again, just like uh, the Europa League final last year. So absolutely no thank you to the city of Manchester um, for, for either club's performances in that tournament this particular weekend. But yeah, pretty inarguable. Uh, Arsenal's past success in this competition. And as you say, Sam, it's going to be really interesting seeing uh, Lampard versus Arteta there in the in the final. Uh, low though I am to admit it, and much as I will probably hate it. (laughs) (laughs) We will uh, now talk about the news that happened today, uh, outside of just Tottenham actually looking like a decent footballing side. Uh, Nigel Pearson allegedly sacked by Watford. So this broke this morning, but I still don't think Watford have confirmed it at time of, uh, I was going to say writing, but, you know, we're talking. (laughs) Um, But as we record... The rumors are that Nigel Pearson has been let go by Watford. So I guess we'll just tinge this with a little bit of speculation uh, since, again, there isn't any formal word. But uh, if true, this will be their third manager that they let go this season. That means they'll have four different people who will have managed them at some point during the 2019-20 campaign. It seemed like Pearson was doing a really good job initially. They were, I think, dead last when they brought him in. He brought them up to 17th. I'm sure he took them higher at some point, but currently not in the relegation zone, but still let go, asterisk. Are you guys surprised that they would do this at this point? Um, I mean, it's like, it was a pretty strange appointment in the first place, to be honest, or at least it was very out of keeping with the profile of manager that Watford have gone for in recent years. I think he was actually their first British manager on a permanent basis since Sean Dyche, possibly, which was like seven or eight years ago now. Obviously, their owners, the Pozzos are Italian, so sort of taps into their knowledge of the managerial market overseas. But as strange as the original appointment was, I think the timing of this is equally as weird. Um, so it was quite surprising, you know, especially now that it seems Hayden Mullins and Graham Stack are going to be the guys overseeing the last two games rather than a new manager coming in from the outside um which maybe makes you think maybe makes you think that something might have 
gone on behind the scenes there um because you know it does just seem bizarre to to change a manager with two games to go and it's i've no idea what they're sort of expecting mullins and stack to implement in the space of a week um i think pearson did better than i'd expected for someone who hasn't who someone who hasn't managed in the premier league for a few years and doesn't exactly have an incredible track record um You'd have hardly been an inspiring appointment if you were a Watford fan, I'd imagine. Um, and like you say, though, Kev, they they did get off to a bit of a flyer um, in their first few games, and were obviously really good in that game where they beat Liverpool three 0 I think it was. Um, and yeah, they were bottom of the table when he came in. Uh, you'd imagine that the brief was to keep them up, which it which he was on course to do. So you'd think he'd at least earn the right to try and see that through. I don't know whether after seeing the performance against. Um, West Ham in midweek when they were 3-0 down at half-time where the owners have just thought they need you know, just a fresh face in there to kind of bring some added motivation for those last two games. But as I said, it is just really, really difficult to see what they're hoping Mullins and Stack are going to change in that period of time. I mean, I think they are still in a very, very strong position. Um, obviously, I think obviously the Bournemouth result today uh, would have been a bit of a boost when that goal got ruled out by uh, VAR in the last minute. Um, a boost for Watford that is um, and I mean obviously their last two games are particularly difficult I think it's City and then I can't remember who the other one is but it's another one of the top sides um, so they are they are obviously in the strongest position of those three sides that kill, that can still survive you'd imagine that Villa are probably their closest challenges for it now um, but just kind of going back to that Pearson appointment yeah I mean it's surprising but then again loyalty hasn't exactly been a trait of the of the Pozzo area they've been pretty happy to sack managers after seasons where Watford have finished mid-table so of all the clubs that could have done this it was probably least surprising that it was Watford <laughs> um it did actually make me wonder though has a has a team ever sacked their manager with fewer games to go before I was trying to think earlier I'm not Ooh, sure if I'm not sure I've ever I can't think of another scenario where a team has sat there sat the manager with two games to go i i can answer that but it's um in the spirit of um in the spirit of how it's been done it's certainly not the same thing but city uh sacked roberto mancini with two games of the premier league season left although granted uh, yeah. rooted in second place and couldn't do anything so in yeah. terms of mm. meaningful changes no um i don't think so but interesting like, in terms of actual records um, also worth noting, gone. sorry, not to interrupt you there, Richard. Um, it took seven minutes to load because their site was down. But Watford FC have confirmed that Nigel Pearson has left the club with immediate effect. That is oh, there you go. one of three sentences in their public statement. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure more will come out about it. It's just strange on, isn't it? Quite weird timing. I think I, um, I know you hinted at it, Sam, and... Um, always wary of speculating on things that you know literally nothing about um but it's hard to assume that it's just on footballing grounds at, at this point because it, you can hope for um for new manager bounce and, and which is a thing it's proven it teams get that and i think on average it's proven to typically last um, like a, an average of four games so you can hope a little bit for getting a very very late end of season bounce just from having a new 
um, a new face coming in and speaking to the players. But at the same time, you can't really, it's, that's not an exact science. You can't rely on it four times in a season. And indeed, it hasn't worked every other time they've done it. Um, so it, it's hard to think that there isn't something else gone on that is going to explain this decision. Because it, it reminds me a little bit of um, when Spain had to change their manager the, like a couple of days before the 2018 World Cup when Lopetegui had been announced as Madrid manager or agreed his contract with them. So Spain let him go and then had a not very impressive World Cup. This feels more like that kind of situation where you're making a change on the brink of something like a really, really important week. That I mean, I mean, unless there's like the players just didn't want to play for Pearson, you know, like a, a really extreme case of losing the dressing room, to use the old cliche. Um, it, it's hard to imagine that this in any way helps them. Um, you'd think it's more likely to throw them into confusion and um, maybe an element of disarray when they don't need it. As, as Sam said, they've got a it's, it's not like the two games that they've got coming up are, um, are easy ones. It, they, they have a terrible record against City. It's usually, typically, um, City beat Watford by high scores over the last two, three seasons. Um, obviously, this season, we've already had an 8-0 win against them. We had a 6-0 win in the FA Cup final last year. Um, I think both league games last year, certainly one of them was, was very high scoring. Um, those players probably won't be full of confidence going into the City game anyway. So making a change at this point just... I mean, we might be proven wrong. They might, they might go on and win the last two games because the new, uh, the new faces, Hayden Mullins and, and Graham Stark, maybe they, they will make a huge difference. But I think the timing is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, and it is City and Arsenal that they have left to face. So, uh, and they're currently out of the relegation zone. So there's a chance they stay up regardless of what they do. Yeah. So yeah, just the, it just it touches as odd. And as you guys say, there's there's surely more to this story. Watford themselves have said that they won't make any further comment. But you know, definitely keep your ears to the ground to see if there's more rumblings that we hear about. Uh, because it, it does just seem so strange. Although, as Sam said, if any club was going to do something random like this and have four managers in a season, I guess the shock isn't that it's Watford. The shock is that it's happening at all. Uh, all right, we will take a quick break and then be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
All right, and we are back. Sam, we'll start off with you. Turns out you're a little bit of a prophet. Uh, the last time we <laughs> had you on, I was really impressed by Crystal Palace and how they had restarted and thought they were right up there with Wolves on the teams that would have the best form through the end of the season. Wrong on both counts, turns out, on my end. Uh, but you definitely expressed caution and to not believe in Crystal Palace too much. Turns out to have been the right choice. Not particularly <laughs> inspiring since that point. Uh, what was it about the team that kind of made you assume that? And, and for those that haven't been watching, what could have led to to this kind of drop in form outside of just a tough fixture list? <laughs> yeah, I may be a prophet, kind of, but I don't particularly take pride in being so in this in this case. It's been pretty depressing to watch. Um, I mean, I think, to be honest, it's, well, first of all, it probably demonstrated exactly how bad Bournemouth are, um, which is kind of, which they've shown in the various games after that. I don't think they've had a particular, I think they've had some some very winnable games if they, and they've had a very good chance of staying up if they really, if they, if they really wanted to, and they've not, they've not sort of won those games and they've put in similar performances to the ones that they did against us. Um, in terms of ourselves, I think it's really served to highlight just how little depth we have in the squad. Um, I think if you look around the, t- the teams that have done well since we've come back, it has been the ones that have been able to rotate a little bit more, which is something that Palace um, notoriously don't do. Um, and I think, you know, it was it was probably best demonstrated when we went to Liverpool, the game after that Bournemouth one. You know, everyone was expecting us to give them a really good game. Uh, they'd obviously drawn to Everton at the weekend and there were, you know, I'm sure <laughs> Richard was hoping that a few nerves might be creeping in and that we might be able to, uh, get something there and then drop points again but you know I think as soon as the team was announced I had no confidence whatsoever you know Benteke was out with an injury um, Guaita was out as well when Hennessy came in um, and Zaha went off after 10 minutes and I think when you when you take out just one or two key players in our team or just one or two players from that starting 11 that we usually have we the whole thing just sort of it's, it falls apart a little bit. Um, Benteke, for example, doesn't score a lot of goals, but he is really, really crucial to the way we play. And I think in that Liverpool game, there was a stat going around after that we didn't have a touch in their penalty area. I think someone later trolled through all the footage and proved it wrong. I think we may have had one touch where Townsend's tapped it on the very corner of the penalty area and ran off towards the corner flag. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just kind of, you know, all of our starting 11, every player knows his role so well that as soon as one of those drops out um it does look a little bit lopsided and we do look a little bit like we don't know what we're doing um and it's not only because you know we don't we maybe don't have the players on the bench with the same ability to change a game but it's also because you know the fact that we do start that same 11 means a lot of those players that are coming in are often out of practice so they (laughs) they kind of come in with cold feet a little bit they're not in tune in the same way that those players that have been starting every week are um So I think that's been a problem that it's really highlighted. Um, You know, Hodgson's very stubborn in his team selections, which in the past has been something that Palace fans have been particularly critical of. And I think if there was ever a time to to rotate your team, this would have been it, um, given how quickly the games have been coming. So, yeah, I mean, as obviously as, as we spoke after that Bournemouth game, as good as we were, I think as much as I kind of wanted to get carried away, um, I didn't allow myself to because I think it was just a massive ask given, you know, what a thin squad we do have and kind of, you know, also Hodgson's history of 
seeing things as being job done you know once we do get to a certain mark in the season once we do get ourselves as far away from that relegation zone as possible and it is pretty apparent that we aren't going to be one of those three teams that go down he does take he has been known to take his foot off the gas a little bit whereas you know you look at some of the teams like Burnley for example um who I think were I think we were level on points with them when when the season restarted they've kind yeah. of gone in the opposite direction which is you know quite frustrating to see you know that I wouldn't necessarily say that Burnley have a better squad than us and I'm sure a lot of people looking on would say that we have a better squad but it's just kind of that mentality you know um they seem to have a very um I mean I don't Dice doesn't strike me as the type of person who would um let his team's performance drop but that kind of just seems to have been something that's happened with us you know we've sort of seen it as job done and yeah it hasn't been particularly enjoyable to watch in the past few weeks yeah sorry about that wish it had gone better wish i had been <laughs> right and not you but you know at least you had the option of being right or being happy instead of getting <laughs> neither or something like that um it was obviously surprising to see so little investment in the summer. And yeah, we're almost to another one. Well, we're actually in the middle of a summer, but the off period between seasons, I suppose we should refer to it as. Um, are you confident that we'll see fills to the holes that are currently in your squad so that you can potentially push further up the table next season? I really hope so. Um, and we need to because I think it's been pretty well documented that we have one of the oldest squads in the league. Um, and as I sort of mentioned there, you know, the the tired legs have been a factor. Um, and I think also, you know, just the other night, Patrick Van Arnold went off with an injury that has ruled him out for the rest of this season, possibly the start of next. And he's our only left back at the moment, our only senior left back anyway. So that sort of just goes to show how much we do need to invest. Um, and there've been a lot of, I mean, there's been a lot of talk going into previous transfer windows where the club of mate or Hodgson at least has made noise saying that everyone knows like we've identified our targets we know who we want to get um but it's ended up being uh, a lot of that talk basically hasn't come to fruition so I think if there is a tra- if there is a transfer window where we do really need to spend some money I think it's going to be this one because you think about the rut that we're getting into at the moment as you say there there's not going to be a lot of time between now and the start of the next season um if things aren't freshened up a little bit i do kind of worry slightly about how we might start um how i might start next campaign without you know some fresh faces in there to, to you know just provide a little bit more competition um you know benteke is our only striker at the moment uh the midfield hardly ever changes we need backup for zaha and zaha on the wings who might even be off this this window you never know um so yeah, it is, it is quite a big concern to be honest. Um, I think a lot of fans have been saying that because the league has been so poor this season, we've maybe been in a false position at times. Um, I think where we've the reason that we've survived is where we've just been able to put together a couple of two or three strings of results where we've beaten the teams around us, and that has just sort of propelled us into mid-table on a couple of occasions and made it look like we might challenge that top ten. Whereas in reality, where we are now, I think 14th, 15th is probably a better reflection of how of the football that we've played this season. So, you know, I think if we are to progress next season, then now definitely is the time to invest, not necessarily in your sort of proven Premier League players who we're going to end up spending 20, 25 million pounds to get. But, you know, the younger players who, we, you know, 
it would nice be nice to see some signings where we've got one eye on the future because that's not been that's not been a characteristic of Palace Palace signings in recent times. It's been it's been quite sort of household names, people who can do a job, but you know they're only going to be able to do that job for a, for a couple of years, and then they're not going to have too much sell-on value at the end of it. It'd be nice to see us show, show a little bit more ambition, a little bit more thinking in our targets. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed. Never hold my breath with Palace in that sense either. Um, <laughs> but it's I think it's definitely what we need to do. All right. Well, best of luck in that regard. And hopefully uh, by the time we have you on next, we'll be talking about all of the great signings that have been made by <laughs> uh, Crystal Palace. Uh, we'll come to you now, Richard. Obviously, the attack at Manchester City, very good. I think you're still leading the league in goals this season. Also have scored multiple goals in every match since the restart bar one until yesterday. Then you end up losing 2-0 to Arsenal in the cup. It seemed to me like that would have been a thing you would have been targeting. The the I guess you're still in the Champions League uh, and we'll have plenty of motivation <laughs> for all of the UEFA stuff. We won't get too deep on that. Um, but it was a little surprised to see them not turn up in general. But in particular, are you surprised that the attack looks so dull considering how free scoring you've been not only this season, but, but of late in general? Yeah, um, I mean, I think first point on that um, that I think is important is to give Arsenal due credit for what they did because um, City weren't great at all, but Arsenal set up very, very well to stifle City. And there were occasions where it was a little bit um, last gas defending from them, but sometimes um, that's exactly what you need. So I think it's important to give them due credit for what they did to stop City. Um but that said, yeah, I mean, I think you're right to say that um, you'd think the City were targeting that cup. I mean, they were peppered. Um, I think peppered said or made repeated references to chasing down the Champions League and, and the FA Cup. The FA Cup was City's to defend. They, they won it last season. So um, you'd think that um, they would have been very keen to keep it again, particularly in light of having been so, so far off the pace in the Premier League. Um They'd already defended the League Cup for the third year running. We know how good it is, what a good feeling it is to defend a trophy. So, yeah, I've, I've no doubt that um, they would have been targeting it. And yesterday was not, um, it was nothing to do with lack of motivation in, in any way. But it, um, I think sometimes you can say it's an off day. But we've had too many of those this season. You're right to point out how many goals we score. But there's we're not a clinical team because you look how many chances City create, good chances. Um, we, we don't actually, and I know this is like boohoo sort of football equivalent of first world problems, so forgive me, but we create so many chances that with the talent that we have in the team, we should take far more of them. Um, I think we suffered yesterday for Aguero's injury because when Gabriel Jesus... I like him. I like what he brings to the team. Um, this might raise an eyebrow maybe from people who, who sort of look at his stats, but he's not somebody that I regard as a great goal scorer. He does score goals and he's still young. So um, this time for his game to develop. But at the moment, he's a very streaky player. His goals come in bunches. So last year, his goal total looked OK. But he went a period of three months where he looked like um, he, he didn't ever want to get into the 18-yard box. And his stats were nicely padded out by five goals. I think it was or four goals against Burton in a 9-0 win. So he's a, a sort of 
odd player and one that you can't rely on for goals. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we, we we have this noted plan B now as well that very rarely works, where when we can't break a team down through the middle or in our preferred style, we start getting the ball out wide and pumping it into the box. Now, what that plan is about is about winning the second ball because you don't have to be much of a, an analyst or understand a great deal about football to see that the odds of many City players winning a stri- winning a header in the box against most central defenders are just on a height basis alone. The the odds are never in City's favour. Um, so we resort to this plan B where, whether it be Mendes, Inchenko, Walker, um, Cancelo, we rely on them getting the ball into the box and somebody being able to win the second ball. But if a team has worked out how to stop us through the middle, then they're already well positioned for winning the second ball themselves. And Arsenal did that. They they didn't hold possession brilliantly yesterday, but then that wasn't what their game was about. And that isn't particularly the way that you beat City. Um, And we we just didn't have, we resorted to that plan B again. And I can think of it in the last two years, you look at all the games that we lose, that is generally a problem. It's generally what we've resorted to. And I can maybe think of, off the top of my head, I can only think of one example this season where that tactic has actually worked for us. I think it was, uh, God, if I remember rightly, because it seems so long ago, but a home game against Southampton where we were in a bit of a pickle and we managed to get two goals from from getting the ball into the box from from the out wide. Um, and getting those knockdowns it just it doesn't generally work and we need we we really need another plan because although we're still a very very good team and we'll still win the majority of games that we play it's a reduced chance now if you lose nine premier league games in a season then it's fair to say that teams are turning up with a 20 25 percent chance of beating you against um against the two games that we lost in 17 18 and the four games that we lost in 18 19 over two seasons losing six premier league games is most teams aren't turning up thinking they can beat you and we've um, we've changed that now and i guess maybe the players feel it as well that it, it puts an extra pressure on this on the forward players and at the moment we're not we're not necessarily always working out the um, the best way through so in short you'd think with our goal record yes we'd usually turn up and score but in reality um particularly once we go behind i think a lot of city fans actually get the feeling of here we go again because the pattern of this season is that we go behind and it's really hard to shift uh momentum's not the right word but it's it's hard to shift the odds back in our favor because the teams know how to defend against us now and we don't have loads of other ideas which um, I'm, uh, again, willing to sort of put my hands up and say probably sounds daft to anybody else who sees a team with <laughs> Sterling, Aguero, Jesus, De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Mares. You'd, you'd think there should be more creativity in there, but um, we, we resort to the same ideas over and over again. Mm. Very good ideas, but yes, they, they can be uh, somewhat repetitive. Uh, a name absent from your listing of incredible uh, attacking options that you have there is the now retiring David Silva. Uh, for me, probably the best player that I've seen live, uh, to be honest, just ob- absolutely incredible uh, in the creative areas. Sixth all-time Premier League assists 
uh, for David Silva. Have always loved watching him play. Uh, liked it less when it's been against Tottenham, but obviously no arguing the talent. And it's really just been a delight to be able to watch him week in, week out for so many years now. Uh, just as a Manchester City fan and just a football fan in general, uh, what has David Silva meant to the Manchester City fan base and how much of a joy has it been for you to be able to watch him for such a long time? Well, there's, um, it's really good to do a show at this point in the season because it gives a really natural chance to um, to talk about how much I and Manchester City fans love David Silva. But it also comes with the, uh, the sad fact that anything I say is that I, I know I'm not going to do justice to the career that he's had um, or to really sum up... Um, just how I feel about watching that man play football because he's um, he's just an outstanding footballer and and any um, I think any professional any pundit and certainly any City fan will not just uh, when you get into into waxing lyrical about about him um, it's not just his football that people talk about he's, he's highly regarded as a man as well and for the the person that he is <clears throat> um, I have for at least three years now, been getting a bit of a, and forgive me if this sounds a bit daft or over the top, but a bit of a lump in my throat when I think about David Silva leaving, because we've been through, as a club, this really incredible period where we went from being, um, you know, through through incredible good fortune um, of the takeover. We went from being this team that hadn't won anything for 35 years and, and to be honest a bit of a joke club and for a long time when we were yo-yoing between the divisions which is the team I grew up with um, we were sort of everybody's second club because we were harmless and, and a little bit funny um, and, and sort of anything we could conspire to do wrong we would do um, and then we effectively won the lottery and became really successful and we did that with a core of players like Joe Hart, Vincent Company, um, Yaya Torre, Aguero and David Silva would be the, the names that spring to mind and, and that people will talk about for generations as sort of the, the spine of our success. And I think when it was probably when Pablo Zabaleta left that he was like probably the, the first really beloved player of this era and who'd been part of all the success to go and it was quite an emotional night at the Etihad when he went and then it was Yaya Torre and then last year it was Vincent Company. and with every one of those departures has been the creeping acceptance that the next one's David Silva because we knew when his contract ended we knew that he'd always said that um, he'd finish after a decade at City that's been his plan for a long long time um, and I think most City fans would tell you now that David Silva is the best player to have ever played for, for the club. And that spans generations. It's dead easy to say, it's dead easy to look at and say, well, this is City's most successful era. So the best ever player will come from that generation. But there's a generation of fans sort of my dad's age who, who grew up telling people my age about the likes of Colin Bell and, and Mike Summerby and would not hear anything other than Colin Bell was the best player to have ever pulled on a City shirt. And I think maybe four or five years into David Silver's City career, um, there was a wide acceptance that he was probably the best player to have ever played for us. And he's 
um, he's not really diminished in quality since then. So it still holds true that with longevity considered as well, he's just our best ever player. You look at his stats um, and, and he's not a player whose stats uh, and I found it really interesting, Kev, because you sort of inadvertently um, started a point that I was going to make anyway. You mentioned mm. about being six all-time Premier League assist maker, um, and then you said, and I love watching him play. And that is very much the order that that I would put those things, because stats are one thing with Silver, but then it's his style of play that, you know, stats have the place in football. They're really important, um, and they help with analysis. But the actual joy of football just comes with what you watch. The joy doesn't come from the numbers. The joy comes from what you can go and see. And it's why we all have preferred styles of play and, and whatnot. And so if you look at his career in a City shirt, he's played 432 games. There might be a game out there, depending on when I check that stat, but I think it's 432. He's got 14 trophies, if you can, if you count the Community Shield, which his record will count, so we have to, whether you regard it as a, as a particularly significant game or not, I don't, but it's there on his record. Um, four Premier Leagues, two FA Cups, five League Cups and three Community Shields. Um, at international level, a World Cup, two European Championships, one of which he scored, uh, I think, the winning goal in, um, in 2012. He certainly scored a goal in it. Um, I might be wrong on, on its significance, to be fair, and it was a big win. Um, mm. For City, that averages a trophy in just short of every 31 games, every 31 games, which over 10 years is absolutely, and it still doesn't do credit to the player that he is because when you watch the way he plays, he has this weird thing, and I've never really been able to adequately describe um, describe what it is about his movement, but he's the most graceful player I've ever watched play football live. Um, and I, I include, you know, I've had the great fortune of watching some of the best players to have ever played the game in, in the last few years come to the Etihad. And in terms of just pure movement, I, I, I put Silva above any of them because he, his grace and his elegance, it's like, it, it's balletic. It's like he dances across the pitch. And if somebody told me, if they said, Richard, if you look closely, He's not actually touching the grass. He's just he's just really lightly walking on air. I wouldn't really question it because he's, it's just how he moves. Um, he lifts in the very, very tiny spaces between the lines that, that teams make. It's a really odd, natural understanding of um, the dynamics of a football pitch and the physics of a football pitch. There are plenty of, um, plenty of players possess. I know that isn't in itself a unique skill, but he always finds them. And you think, you know, teams are trying to mark him out of games because they know his influence, they know how good he is. And it's near impossible to do. There's not been many teams that have successfully um, really sort of put David Silver in the pocket. Um, his ability to play a decisive pass or to see things that you can't see. I sit quite high up at the Etihad, which gives you, um, you know, if, if there's a break on or there's an attacking play developing, you can see the runs that people are making. It gives you um, a really good view of the game. And sometimes at ground level, he's seeing passes that from looking on a, you know, sort of not, not a bird's eye view, but from up above, you just don't see that they're on. And he, he plays them over and over and over again. There's a reason that a lot of opponents now are coming out and our former opponents are coming out and saying that he's possibly the best player that they've ever played against because 
he's just got a, a, an incredible understanding of the game. He's exceptional. Um, the the only thing that's ever really been lacking from his game is goals. And that's not to say that he doesn't score, but um, he's always preferred a pass. And so the reason that that is lacking from his game speaks to his arguably his biggest skill is that he just wants to create for other people. That's that's what he's there for and it's what he wants to do. Um, of course, in the last couple of games, is um, well, Arsenal accepted, but in a couple of times in recent weeks, is shown that actually he can take a free kick, which I think he scored one other in the 10 years before that. So he's leaving. Like two in three weeks. <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's really playing to the old idea that you should always leave them wanting more because he's, he's showing us a bit more of what he can do. And um, I, I, just briefly to touch on, because I, I, I mean, I really could sit here for hours and talk about David Silva. Um, but he's, I mentioned before about what a, a good guy he's, he's generally seen as being. Um, you never you never see his name in the papers unless occasionally, um, you know, eventually somebody has to, a player of his quality has to do an interview because the club must put them up at points. Um, but he's never he's never sought the limelight. You can see it in just the way that he talks. He's a, a very sort of um, almost reticent and, and reluctant hero. And occasionally he'll be maybe promoting a charity or something. Um, but his qualities as a man and a footballer were... Um, they, they collided in the 17-18 season when his, uh, his son was born, very, very premature. And it was a, um, there was a very real risk that he wouldn't make it. And obviously we know now I'm very fortunate that um, he survived as a healthy young boy. But at the time he could, have, he could have lost his son and he was flying between Manchester and Valencia um, where his baby was. And he'd land in Manchester without training and he'd walk onto a pitch and be the best player on it in a team that shattered every Premier League record that was that was worth having. Um, he, he could still walk onto a pitch and absolutely dominate a game um, while still, obviously, prioritising the things that he needed to prioritise in his personal life. Um, he had an agreement with Guardiola that he would let him know when he was available and that was it he was available and you knew that he would go on the pitch and perform um i will very strongly miss him in a city shirt you know players go and it's sad they move on um and it's sort of sad for the day that they go or they get a little sad get a lump in the throat but i think silver more than than any other player that i've ever watched i will um I will have a clear feeling of missing him when I go to the Etihad and he's not there to watch anymore. Um, to the point that it, it genuinely makes me a little bit emotional and I have been dreading being at his, his send-off. And of course, look what happens. There'll be nobody there for it, which for a long yeah. for, for weeks and well, months now where it's been clear that that would be the case. Um, I've been thinking what a travesty it is that he won't get his send-off. And a couple of weeks ago, it sort of dawned on me that the player and the man that David Silver is and has always been, despite being an all-time great. And when I say that, he, he belongs in, I'm not saying he's the best, but he belongs in any conversation about the best players to have played in the Premier League. Um, and I, I don't think there's, I can't imagine there'd be many people who'd, who disagree with that, to be honest. Um, mm. Despite all of that, he has never, ever 
wanted the limelight. And so I guess in a way it's quite fitting and appropriate that he'll he'll bow out without the fanfare that he should get. Um, and it's it's really sad. It genuinely like it it it, it makes me very sad. But mm. maybe it's if he could choose it. Um, maybe deep down there's a little bit of that that he'll actually quite enjoy just being able to slip off and I, I just hope that um I hope he has a sense of what he means to City fans because he's um he's just magnificent. He's a he's a different different class of footballer. Um, but whatever his next move is, because he he's not um he's not confirmed retiring. There is um, a suggestion that he might go and t- pick up a nice payday in Qatar, and I don't think uh, I don't think anybody would would be grudging that at this point in his life. So good luck to him, and I hope we might we are uh, Pep keeps saying we will. I hope we bring him back for an event where um where we can understand just just exactly how interwoven into the fabric of Manchester City he is. Yeah, he will certainly be missed and very well said uh by you. That will take us to the end of the show though. Uh, we could do match previews, but we could just be wrong within 24 to 48 hours <laughs> for your club. So not much point of that at this point. But uh, thanks to both of you so much for coming on. If you'd like to tell folks where they can find you, now would be a good time. Cheers, Kev. Uh, nice to speak with you and Rich. Um, I've been Sam Carp, Crystal Palace fan. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sam double underscore Carp. Um, you can also find some of my work on the Eagles Beak fan site and on the Sports Pro website. Uh, yeah, thank you, Kevin. Um, lovely to chat with you both. Um, I'm on Twitter at Richard Burns. Uh, I'm on the Blue Moon podcast, um, which is a weekly dedicated Manchester City podcast. Um, we do have a rotating panel, so it won't always be me that you'll have to put up with if you do listen. Um, <laughs> the account is at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter, and we also have a Patreon page where there are and some little bonuses that you can get for a very, very nominal fee. Awesome. Yeah, be sure to go check all of that stuff out. Pleasure speaking with both of you guys, as always. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.